Welcome to the True Sports Physical Therapy Podcast with your host, Dr. Yoni Rosenblatt. In this episode, The True Guide to ACL Rehab, we embark on a comprehensive exploration on how to get your athletes from the operating room table and back onto the field after an ACL reconstruction. Join us as we delve into every phase of the journey, equipping you with the keys to a successful rehab plan with a strong emphasis on real-world knowledge that you can apply to your very next rehab session. Our guest and creator of this course, Dr. Tim Stone, has a remarkable track record rehabilitating some of the world's very best athletes in their ACL recovery journey. Let's jump right in. Welcome back to the True Sports Physical Therapy Podcast. This one, I've been waiting a long time to record. I got my dear friend, my dear business partner, the COO of True Sports Physical Therapy, Dr. Timothy Michael Stone. Welcome to the pod. Thanks for having me, Yoni. Uh, thanks for being here. You just created an unbelievable course. Um, you are we- now a co-educator on all things ACL as we launch the True Sports Guide to ACL Rehab. What makes this ACL course awesome? Well, I think there's a few things that that really like set this course apart from others that we've seen. I think, you know, some really big things, there's, a, there's been a large movement away from the in-person course type atmosphere. Um, so we tried to piggyback off that a little bit and really, you know, create a, a course, course with an online presence, something that you can access in the clinic real time with your patients. So the first one is definitely that ease of access to it. The second piece really is we try to debunk the plethora of options and confusions surrounding the best way to treat an ACL. So, you know, I felt as though when I first came out of grad school, I had a good grasp on exercises and movements and with a good strength and conditioning background, but I just didn't really know how to, you know, put it in place at the right time with the right patient and, and kind of like just simplify this whole process. So we really set out, you know, as our main goal is just to make sure this, this course is really succinct, really clear and really simple, a nice stepwise approach to treating ACLs. Um, and then I think the third piece that, that I really find interesting, that's maybe slightly different to a trend in what's going on today is that we're seeing this huge shift in towards this criteria based approach to ACL rehab. That's beautiful. I think, you know, there's, it has its place for sure, but I think our patients don't really understand where they stand during that time frame when they're doing the rehab, you know, and as, as clinicians, part of generating buy-in and, and getting great success is really being able to explain where a patient is along the process. So we tried to marry both the criteria-based approach with the time-based approach so that you know people can really understand this is sort of what you need to move on. And this is the time frame that we would expect you to do that in. But if you fall outside of that time frame, maybe you're going a little bit faster maybe you're going a little bit slower, you still have something to fall back on to be able to give people like context to, to where they're at in this. Yeah, you make a good point as you kind of explain that overarchingly, which is the therapist needs to know where the patient should be. That's step number one. Step number two is what do you do when they're not there? And I think this ACL course kind of speaks to that. How do you speed things up? Like they're, they're killing it. How do you scale things back if they're struggling with things like motion or anterior knee pain? And that kind of comes up over and over again and really drives home the point, which is the therapist needs to know where the patient should be. 
along the continuum, so should the patient. You just made that point, right? The patient has to understand where am I in this nine month, 12 month horizon? And what am I doing to consistently get better? Is that something that you find you're constantly explaining as you rehab these patients? Yeah, I mean, I think everybody wants their ACL to meet you know, the, the timeline approach of, you know, a protocol that's sent from their surgeon or one that they've, you know, followed and learned a lot. But I think I just, I just don't know if I've ever had a patient that's met those standards like week to week. Yeah. Um, and so it's, it's more, it's more common to have somebody fall somewhere outside of that guideline than to fall within it. Yep. And so I, I think it's just, it's just difficult to have like this guide, which isn't really realistic um, in everybody's case because everyone's an individual. Um, it's a bit more of like the autistic side of, of rehab versus the science side of rehab. So yeah, I think just having both those touch points of just giving a general idea of where I am chronologically, but also like where I am um, from a metric based perspective as well, it gives you really good context to, you know, what to do next or how to speed up the process, or maybe even how do I need to hold this patient back because yeah. of some, you know, um, some new tissues that are, that are in their body that you can't stress, even though, um, some of the things that they're showing you would suggest that they should do yeah. that from like a musculoskeletal perspective. Yeah. Yeah. I always say that I've rehabbed probably thousands of ACLs and none of them are the same. Um, they all fit within a given context, but they're all so unique. So I have a patient come into me. I do, I do a lot of talking to parents and coaches to try to explain this, which is here's the beautiful, easy pattern you're going to go along. This is the quote unquote protocol. Every single ACL I've ever seen struggles with one piece of this. Maybe it's motion. Maybe it's quad recruitment. Maybe it's anterior knee pain. It's usually one of those three. Maybe it's the mental side. Um, just get ready for that. And that's what I think this course does is prepares both the patient and the clinician to say, if you're, if it is not a million percent smooth, because it never is, how do you handle that? How do you scale that? Um, you're so good at wrapping your patient's head around that. I think that's what makes you, makes you uniquely suited to deliver so much of the content in this course. What else would you say makes you uniquely suited to co-teach a course like this? Well, you know, I think like you said, Yoni, we're doing this day in, day out. There hasn't been a day at True Sport since I started here six years ago where I haven't treated an ACL, yeah. you know? So I think this is our bread and butter. Um, it really wasn't what I set out to do in going into the sports world. I really had like a, a love and fascination of, you know, of, of hip rehab and things like that. I thought that was going to be really something that I could like bring to the table. And then, you know, after doing this, it just, you know, being in this niche of, of sports PT, they just kept coming and just kept coming and just kept coming. Yep. And I think, you know, that was, that was something that, that wasn't necessarily like going after, but then I sort of started to develop this like love for treating it, you know? And I think, um, it, it just is such a cool rehab process because you get to, you know, one, take someone, you know, who's just exited the, the, the operating room and is on the table and, you know, can't walk, you know, can't shower themselves, like needs help going to the bathroom. And then you get to, you know, at the highest level, put them back on, you know, uh, a professional sports field where they're, you know, generating millions of dollars of income. I mean, that, that transition period is just really, I think, very unique, um, to, you know, to, to most rehabs. So just, just the ability to see, you know, 
dozens and dozens and dozens. And, you know, like you said, probably close to a thousand, you know, by, by now, um, that really, I think sets, uh, us apart from, uh, other courses or other people that teach courses. Um, it's really like that, that practical application of, you know, experience with patients that, that makes, um, that makes us uniquely suited. Now you have, you have this, um, unique approach now and, and experience level. You've seen thousands of them, right? Tell me about your background that makes you uniquely suited to deliver this information. Yes, I think this is more of a general question about, you know, what we should do as PTs to position ourselves um, to best rehab our patients from a personal perspective. So what can I do to help um, me gain context around where my patient is in their life? And so, you know, I was fortunate enough to play sports at a relatively decent level and play at the collegiate level and have, you know, a little bit of success there. But also, you know, I think true for a lot of sports PTs, have some injuries, um, have some surgeries, um, and kind of go through the rehab process myself. So personally, I had surgery when I was in grad school. So it was a really great way to absorb, um, you know, the the didactic portion of a course, you know, whilst going through that, that rehab uh, portion uh, that rehab process for myself as well. So I think that that was really interesting. Um, and then I think, you know, last but not least, it's just your, your willingness to train and try, you know, things for yourself first before you put your patients through them. So uh, I think maybe not necessarily to the same intensity or weight level as some of our, you know, pros, pros, linemen, like th- those kinds of things. Um, you know, professional lacrosse players, you know, I might not be able to put as much weight on, on the bar, but you know, I, I do, I do understand, you know, what it feels like to be at an eight, nine or 10 out of 10 RPE during a rear foot elevated split squat, you know, or, um, how it feels to, you know, decelerate change direction, you know, for a 90 degree or 180 degree turn. So I think, you know, that's a, that's a really important piece. I feel that, PTs should go after at, you know, whatever intensity that is for you, but just to feel, you know, what it, what it's like to do the drills is super important when you're trying to teach and coach the drills as well for your patients. Yeah. Um, I totally appreciate your humility in this, in that answer. Um, you did win a national championship in college, which is something that a lot of therapists potentially have not done. I think if you didn't have that experience of winning a national championship, playing for Salisbury, I think the way you make that up is by reaching those RPEs yourself, right? Is by putting yourself through the movements you're then going to ask your patient to do. I think that's imperative and and that should be highlighted. Uh, Akin in my world is I've never thrown a baseball 95 miles an hour, but I've thrown a baseball as hard as I possibly could through severe elbow pain, I know what that feels like. I can then try to take those life experiences and apply that to the patient. And I think we're going to get to it maybe a little bit later, but it's that's a big piece of creating buy-in. And I think this course does a great job of giving the therapist the tools to create that buy-in from the patient. And without that buy-in, you're not going to get outstanding results. You could give them all the science in the world. If you don't create that buy-in, you're not going to get the results that you want, more importantly, that the athlete wants. So don't belittle that national championship, but you make a great point of, 
hey, have I hit the RPs? Have I done the movements? Have I worked on a box jump? Have I worked on a single leg box jump? Have I tried to teach myself how to change direction appropriately? Because only through that are you then going to be able to relate to your patients. What we've done in this course is given the therapist the tools to take them themselves to the gym and try to teach themselves how to do it. Because only through that are you then going to be able to kind of relate it to your patient. Anything to add on to that? Yeah, I would just say, I think, you know, just to piggyback on what, what you're saying that a big portion of this course is movement principles, planes of direction, mm -hmm. different forms of loading. So I, I would, you know, as you said, I think it's great to have an, uh, a sports background or have played sports at a high level. You don't need to take this course, look at some of the exercises. We give you some really practical um, programming sheets as well, some Excel spreadsheets that you could just take these exercises and program for yourself. Yeah. Um, I found myself doing that, you know, all, all the time when I first got out. And actually what's really, what's really interesting just from more vanity perspective, I think we, we are challenging, you know, we'll get into this more like quadriceps function and strength so much in this. I, I was, um, I was playing in a local washed up men's league this summer. And, you know, there was one of our guys was, you know, shooting pictures and, um, I saw a couple shots of me playing and I compared what I looked like now to what I looked like back in college. And my quads are like twice as big. And I think, you know, uh, whether, whether or not that's good weight or bad way, I think, you know, I've absolutely like my own training, like changed the, the, the level of, of quadriceps strengthening just from this like process of rubbing yeah. off on me. So, you know, I think you can do the same if people are interested in um, taking this course, when they take the course, just use those little programming templates, um, throw some of the, the exercises that are, or the movement options or principles that we, that we have on there and just put them into your own programming and try them out and see, you know, see how they feel for you. Yeah. Yeah. You got to let it bleed into your own life. I've heard you make that case before where it's you when we talk about work life balance, very often it's that work like bleeding into that life. Right. And so you've developed uh, a pair of quadriceps that now can stabilize your knees by, by virtue of the fact that you've incorporated some of this training into what it is you do on the daily. There's, there's definitely value there. Also, you mentioned some of the information that we provide in this course gives you a lens through which you can see all of the information that's out there. I think times have changed so much. I'm just a little bit older than you. And so when I came out of graduate school, there wasn't information available. And that was the biggest hurdle to jump. Where do I get this stuff? How do I find out how to teach change of direction? I had to go and find an outstanding speed coach, a guy named Courtney Green, to teach me those things, how to change direction efficiently, effectively, and then try to apply to what we do. Now, it's everywhere. Information is everywhere. What the True Sports Guide to ACL Rehab does for you is it gives you a lens through which you can filter good information. And so now you can say, I know, I know my athlete needs to be doing X. Let me go find information that fits into that rubric. So that's another reason I would encourage everyone listening to, to give this course a try is it gives you the foundation through which you can build upon and see and, and dissect and digest outstanding information. So that's something I always struggle with is, oh my God, there's so much stuff out here. This kind of simplifies that. So as we put together this course, give me the biggest challenge that you think this course solves for? 
So I think it, it just a drastic, um, uh, increase in speed of your uh, ability to take, um, what's, you know, evidence-based into practical, Mm -hmm. um, based applications. Mm -hmm. So, um, I mean, you were just almost touching on it, uh, just, just a second ago, but when you come out of school, you have such a like research oriented background, right? You spend a lot of time in in college, you know, looking through papers, seeing, you know, what is truly like evidence-based, but you know, that third, you know, that third pillar pillar or second and third pillars of like the practical application, what works well for a patient. Yeah. What do you do with it? Right. What, how do you, how do you, how do you do that? Studies don't really look at how to treat an ACL, you know, from the first minute to the 45th minute that you have them in, in their office. Mm-hmm. And so this course really, really breaks that down, makes it really, really simple um, to digest. What should I be like doing now? What should I do? next session how many times should i see you a week we even sort of break things down simply enough as to you know we all know that we should get on a bike to improve range of motion or maybe we don't now you do now you do yeah <laughs> but we teach you like you know how to safely and effectively like get on the bike get mm-hmm. off the bike i know when i first started i had my first acl and they're like trying to get on the bike i'm you know just in this total you know mind f of like I'm going to kill this person. They're going to fall off. Like if I bend it too much, like if they go, is this going to cause like issues down the road? Am I going to increase swelling? Does there a meniscus like handle this? We talk about like all those little basic things that, that I feel like I had questions when I first came out of school that I was fortunate enough to have a mentor, like you kind of walk me through, but if you're in the middle of nowhere, this is a course that will help really like give you that mentorship and just speed up your ability to, you know, treat the next five that walk into yeah. your office. Yeah. I've seen that in, in your career, how you came on to the team about six years ago. I did my best to try to teach you like my theories and like the way I approach ACL rehab. And now I've seen every single therapist that we've brought on benefit from your tutelage. And that's what this course does. It takes Tim Stone. It takes all the outstanding PTs. And by the way, uh, one of the world's preeminent surgeons, it takes them and it puts them on your computer screen. So they are your mentors. You are now the mentor to all the people that are going to download this course and take it. And it decreases that learning curve really quickly. And and you do a great job of kind of dispersing that information. So I I think that's another um, massive benefit. Too often you take a course and it's, well, studies show that you need blah, 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 blah. This course is Tim Stone holding your freaking hand and helping you get your athlete to where they need to be. That's worth its weight in gold. So I think that's really powerful. You remind me of a, one of the first ACLs I saw was a um, 300 pound, very mobile um, individual playing rugby, toward playing rugby, played collegiate rugby. I just remember exactly what you just said. Like, praying to God, I could get him onto this rickety ass bike in the clinic that I was working in. And he slid off the pedal, like slammed down. And, and both of us thought he retours ACL, right? And, and just the, the fear um, that I felt that the patient felt in that time. Now, he didn't, he didn't retear it. But had I had a course like this, I'm not making mistakes like that. I, I'm approaching the bike as simple as it is appropriately i would have done it at a better time perhaps when he could have had better control that's what this course does it is 
truly how you rehab an ACL. And what you're hitting on is exactly why we started this practice and why we call it true sports physical therapy, because it's taking all the evidence base, all the research, everything from the lab. How do you apply it? And that's the gold here is we can all read studies, but how do you actually get that athlete to exactly kind of where they need to be? Does that make sense? Yeah, for sure. Um, totally agree. Okay. So when you looked out at the landscape of physical therapy, continuing education, and there's so much already out there, specifically as it pertains to ACLs, what did you notice was lacking? Yeah, I think I think you you also mentioned it a second ago. I think there's either this one camp where it's like, you know, so evidence based that you go and take a course and you know, either sit in, in it live and you get lectured at for you know, the whole whole weekend. Yep. It talks about like, you know, what does the research show on like on on strength or what does the research show on range of motion or what does the research show on free tears or uh, glute made function and, yeah. and injury prevention yep. and you know and all these kinds of things um or you go into courses that are um produced by really large conglomerates yep. that are probably seeing less of these on a daily basis than than what we do so you know we attend to that kind of research and we're really interested in making sure um we keep up to date on those kinds of things but this really comes from a point of um, what it is that we do every single day. And I think we as a, as a company, if, if you are a PT at True Sports, this, you will see more of these in, on a yearly basis than anywhere else um, at any other institution. So there's really no better people to learn from um, in this situation. You know, in this course, than than the PTs themselves that that work here. So that I think is really what separates this from a, a lot of the other courses that I've sort of seen that are that are out there. It's just like a much better, practical, real life, situational application. Yeah, one of the things you do that's so awesome is applying your strength and conditioning background. I think that's something that is was so needed in the landscape. Um, there's so many courses on what that patient is doing on the table. Very rare is it for me to see what the athlete is doing at month three, four, five. I find that as a clinician, very challenging, a very challenging point of the rehab process, because now you're not a physical therapist. Now you're a sports physical therapist. Now you're a strength coach. Um, and so how do you load? When do you load? How do you isolate? I think more importantly, and the course does a great job of it, and, and by that, I mean, you do a great job of, of periodizing and how do you plan appropriately? When do you pull on that strength and conditioning knowledge? Yeah. So I think, um, I mean, immediately, right. I think from, from day, day one, you know, when we're trying to gain quad recruitment, yeah. it, we're already manipulating sets, reps, tempo, um, we're utilizing, um, uh, blood flow restriction, NMES, all those things are, you know, fall within that uh, strength and conditioning world of, you know, progressive overload. Mm -hmm. I think um, mostly how, however, I think you need to really rely on it in that advanced strengthening phase of, of rehab. So, so we've included a specific phase that, that looks at that um, particularly. And 
Um, but we also include it in the earlier phase of, of loading as well. I think as you move through the rehab, and this was probably a really large challenge for us as we were going through the course is day one, week one, and month one, you can almost write out on a like piece of paper exactly what you want the patient doing on each one of those days to meet those goals. And, you know, and we've done that. And in that's the what course. you did. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's an awesome piece right there if you're unsure about what that looks like. But from, you know, after you get them off the table and they start independently walking, the variables just increase exponentially. You have all these different options that you can apply in in your programming to the, these patients. So what we really attempted and, and thought we've done a really good job of is in those early and advanced stages of, of strength training, really break it down as, as simply as possible and as, as uh, linearly, linearly as possible and um, from, a, from a movement uh, pattern perspective so that we give you these different directions of movements to, to utilize. Um, and I think that that is like a huge a huge piece of this is is now we're just decreasing the the variables of the decision making that the pt has to make as they go through this process so that's probably where it's applied most common yeah you make an awesome point there because i jumped to month three and four as massive challenges and that's when you become a strength coach you just said you're a strength coach from when they walk in and I appreciate that correction because too often, and, and we go over this every single interview you and I conduct of a prospective uh, teammate in true sports is what does that first session look like? Well, why did you choose this amount of time to have them do, let's call it um, a prone hang or a heel pop, right? Is that enough time? What do we know about tissue adaptability and how much intervention or input do we need to provide? That's the strength coach. It starts on day one, not on month three. So I stand corrected, but but that's that's a really great point. And you did do an awesome job of kind of lining that out and giving the therapist a rubric of how do I work through these stages and how do I work through these stages, always keeping in mind that my intervention has a purpose, not just because it says so on a piece of paper, but it has a purpose to achieve this given goal extension, you got to provide enough time under tension, right? Uh, hypertrophy, what are your parameters, right? <clears throat> Recruitment, what am I trying to do? How long am I creating those holds so that that brain can begin to talk to the desired muscle? So I definitely kind of uh, appreciate that point. It's also, dude, I wish I would have done this when I looked at graduate programs when I was going to school is look at maybe what you want your specialty to be in my case orthopedics and sports and then look at the institution and look at the people teaching it and where is their focus how many acls have they seen um i'll take courses and i've taken courses to get to this point and i'm learning from clinicians that live in a lab i'm learning in clinicians that see one two three acls a year you see one two three acls in your morning session and, and that's, that's really powerful. And that's what this does is it speeds up that learning curve just from all that experience. So I think there's, there's a tremendous amount of value there. So sounds like a great course. Sounds like a course I want to take. Um, sounds like a course I had a small hand in creating. So walk me through those steps and phases of the true sports guide to ACL rehab. Yeah. So there's the really 
I would say like generally three to four big buckets of phases that we then break down further. So the first one is the early intervention. Um, and then second one would be early uh, loading. We have advanced loading and then we have more of your return to sport phases. So those are like the three broad overview or four overview. Um, Same again, break them down again. So we have the early post-up, okay? Then we have our early strength yep then we have advanced strength and then we have our return to sport yeah okay yeah and you put in milestones yes yeah, so in in between those phases there are a lot of different moving parts and so we brought in different phase chunks within those larger phases to sort of teach and educate on how to uh reach x goal like this goal um but also on on how to decrease those variables that we spoke about so for example in our initial phase we put in an entire session of what we do on day one yeah you know um we do exactly what we do for week one okay and then we do exactly what we do for up to month one where we're getting the patient back to walking uh independently um and then we head into that more strength and conditioning portion. So we have that, our uh, initial loading strategies. Okay. And so this is where patients will start to really uh, develop like a competency around squatting, lunging, tap, single leg tap downs, um, posterior chain exercises, things like that. In that more advanced stage that comes after that, we're looking at all those same or similar movements, plus a couple more that we probably wouldn't attempt in that earlier phase. But we're also adding different load, much, uh, much more complex loading patterns or, you know, different ways to sort of, um, challenge the tissue in ways that you might not be able to, or load the joints as you might want to in that earlier phase. And you don't get that stuff out of a textbook. And that's what I love about this course, playing with angles, playing with tempo, playing with pace, um, is something that, that doesn't really show up in the studies. That's where the rubber meets the road. That's where you're actually showing the clinician. Here are the things you've got to think about. And we give you options as to how to put it in the program. It also does a great job of explaining what do you do when you're seeing them three days a week? You know, you have to get to X. You need full range to get out of that early phase, right? You need really good quad recruitment to get out of that early phase. So that's the way you break up your individual sessions. Today's theme is motion. What have I done to get that athlete's full range of motion? Or the second visit of that week, today's theme is recruitment. What am I doing to help them get that recruitment so that we can get them off that table? You're playing with all these variables as you move along the rehab process. You have to pick a given goal for that session. This course shows you what those goals should be and how to achieve those goals. Yeah, and I think also too, like to, to your point there, we one thing that's I found confusing when I was going through this, when I had the ability to work with someone three days a week is what does that look like compared to the person what I'm working with two days a week? Or should I work with this person five days a week if I can? And so we actually specifically broke down, you know, how you could look at your sessions from a two day a week perspective and a three day a week perspective, just because, you know, in that 
um, outpatient um, environment, that's probably the most likely way in which you're going to see these patients. So there's differences to the rehab process when you have the ability to see them two days a week versus three days a week. And we talked about that, um, the programming and the, the Excel sp spreadsheets that we provide um, within those phases. We change those based on how many times you're, mm -hmm. you're seeing the patients during the week as well. So it, it just sort of like, I felt I really struggled, you know, when I'm seeing someone two days a week and you get into that later stage when you're trying to do some, you know, cutting um, and lifting. Well, once you move into that phase, if you're doing twice a week, you've now just stripped one day of strength training because you have to bring in the um, the plyometric portions or, or the change of direction stuff. So how do you manage that? You know, what do you do with that? Um, should it look like you train all body parts equally on the first day and then do a change of direction? Or should you do a little change direction on both days or should you really target quads for the most part on that first day and, and and move into the change direction on the second day there's a lot of questions around that and we sort of break that down in this in this course um and compare that to uh compare that to options where you can see a patient a little bit more frequently as well yeah it, it also gives you a full a few levers to pull and options because that patient's going to come in if they're still looking really weak or they don't have awesome recruitment, then it can color, uh, it can give you options. You need to be doing more of this at home because we only have twice, twice a week, or, um, you're doing great with that stuff. Let me teach you some of the rhythmic drills and the timing drills, because that's where you're struggling. Take those at home. When you come in here, I'm going to show you how to load this thing. So you got to meet that patient where they are your addition and this this really was all you in terms of the, um adding it to the course of giving the therapist those excel spreadsheets to pull from um i haven't seen that in courses it, it it really doesn't exist elsewhere i think that's super unique about the value that you're really providing so let's dig in a little bit um clinically walk me through what you think is the most complex portion of true of the true sports ACL rehab course. Yeah, so I think uh, I mentioned this as you move along the course or in general as you move along patients rehab process, the earlier stage are earlier stages have a lot less variables attached to them, yeah. right? There's one, two, three goals that you're working on. Uh the movements are really simple. But as you go through um, your rehab and you get to those change of direction phases of the return of sport phases, the complexity, the variables, the speed at which you're trying to like watch somebody do something and see what they're having issues with yep. gets a lot more difficult. So yep. I would say in general for, uh, ACL rehab, that is the most complex portion of rehab. And I think too, that's what we were really, uh, challenged with when we're producing this course. Well, how do we simplify that for people? Um, but also not put them in this box where every single one of your ACL patients ends up doing the same change of direction yeah. program when they come back. So uh, we really tried to derive different principles of these stages, you know, whether it was like open and closed environments, whether they were contact or non-contact or whether they were what we call like chaotic or non-chaotic drills. Those were the kinds of pieces that we broke down the later stages of change of direction into. Um, and then... We filled in the blanks with some examples of those exercises, but we talk about, you know, uh, looking um, on YouTube or looking on social media or, uh, 
you know, taking other courses in strength and conditioning where you can then get this bucket of what's a contact, chaotic, closed environment drill, and then pick an exercise that you've seen or a drill that you've seen elsewhere and just like plug and play into that specific um, portion or that specific goal for that for that yeah. day. Yeah, so that, I think that's difficult to do. I think it's really difficult to do. I think one of the reasons it gets so much more complex as we move along the rehab process is twofold. One, you don't get this in school. Like they can't teach you this complex stuff in school because they have to be talking about EKG or they have to be talking about wound care or burn care or whatever the hell else they're teaching you. So you never get to those later stages. And I see that a lot as we interview and we talk to newer graduates or people that are working in a more general population, there's just not enough time and experience with that later stage stuff. They're busy spending time with their TKEs. And that plays back into the previous point, which is finding a mentor that only does this. So I think that makes it complex. Secondly, um, and, and really simply, I think is, is planes of motion, right? And so when you're getting your flexion and extension, it's basically one plane. Once we're out there and say we're back to throwing or cutting or dodging, holy cow, so many planes, right? And, and the course does a really good job of breaking down the planes that we're looking in. And that's the way you progress the athlete. If I had a nickel for every time I worked with an NFL athlete and he tells me, yeah, we're doing some change of direction stuff um, and we're doing some resisted running. Um, and I'm like, well, have you learned how to move in all of those planes? And they're like, what the hell does that mean? I'm like, well, have you learned to move laterally in the frontal plane? Have you worked on box jumps? Have you worked on deceleration, acceleration in that plane? Have you worked on it uh, transversely? Have you worked on rotation? Too often, that stuff is totally skipped. It's, okay, we're at month three, so let's start running. What have you done to get there? This course, you do a great job of breaking that down vis-a-vis -vis planes of motion, I think, is the lens you look through. Yeah, that's, um, that, is, that is a big, a big portion of it. And what I think, you know, again, to like piggyback off your right there is if you're, you know, giving an athlete a specific drill and your goal is to look at how they move in that transverse plane, well, there's not a ton of drills that happen on the field where you're only going to move in the transverse plane. Right. So how do you pick or design a drill that predominantly moves in that plane? you know, but still has a sprinkle of some other things, but it's just not the major piece that you're looking at. Now, when the athlete goes ahead and completes that drill or is doing that drill, when you're giving them feedback, how do you give them feedback on the transverse plane portion of it? Because that's your goal. How do you make that part better and sort of leave the other pieces to, mm -hmm. to the side? And so, you know, that's what is what's what makes this portion much more more complex. But as you said, like just being able to break it down into the planes and then break it down into like the intensities of the drill makes it a lot more simpler. And on top of that, I think if you are a new grad or if you are new to this, I think we do get planar movement in school. So we do understand mm -hmm. those things. And so all you're doing is trying to um, place that knowledge with a much faster, more aggressive, more ballistic type movement. So if you can make that jump, then it sort of puts the puzzle pieces together and it makes it seem much more simple. Yeah. So, if we take a small step back from that change of direction, although we'll, we'll come back to it. Um, 
one of the one of the pieces that I struggle with mightily was the hypertrophy phase, and that's one of my favorite phases of of the entire entire ACL rehab course. Just give me your overview of how to approach the hypertrophy phase and how you know your athletes ready for that. Yeah. So, um, they, they are going to have some level of hypertrophy training from day one again, obviously, but when you get to the meat and potatoes portion of it, you're starting that advanced loading. That's where you're going to see like majority of that, um, you know, muscle size change. Um, and so I, I think the, the important pieces that that are involved in in this phase are really just progressing the different loading patterns that we do in that earlier phase so if we've created some competency like with body weight um, or a lighter level lows just to ensure that the, the patient's able to move through those different movements now when we get to that hypertrophy phase this thing needs to be freaking hard like it's yeah. got to be a battle like you should be working and you can see again in our programming things like you need to be working in eights nines and tens of your rpes right we're no longer working in our sixes like we were in that earlier phase where we're just trying to develop um the ability to do the movement now you know like you should fail once okay. a time in, in pt right like things should be that difficult that when you come back the next time, whatever tissue group you're working on the time before is fried, you know, and then talking about the programming, the PT can come in and say, like, well, okay, like now we don't need to work on that today because we can give you 48 hours to kind of like recoup rest. We'll work on some different groups or some different movement patterns that won't really stress though. So I think the overarching theme of the hypertrophy is that it needs to be really hard yeah. and you're following along that principle, um, of progressive overload. Okay. So the recording of your weight needs to be really good so that you can increase the next time they, they come in, you know, the RPE needs to be recorded so that you can kind of match that, um, every single time. So I think those are like the big pieces that are really important in terms of like how to address hypertrophy, um, in patients, uh, with ACL reconstruction. And then I think the last little tidbit would be a little bit of that tech side of things would be, um, you have to have blood flow restriction. Mm -hmm. You can't get through this phase effectively without uh, some sort of limb occlusion. And I might add NMES to that as well, just to increase the recruitment as well as um, incre increasing hypertrophy. But I just think now it's so accessible and relatively cheap that if you want to treat patients and you want to get their limb size similar and you want to give them ability to um, down the road show better absolute strength and then show the ability to produce ballistic movements, elasticity, stiffness, all those kinds of qualities. You can't get there unless you fill the hypertrophy bucket first. And I think you need blood flow restriction to do that. Yeah, I think you need blood flow restriction. And I think you have to force the athlete to use that limb appropriately, effectively, and force them to work hard. That, that's the biggest thing, right? We have to provide enough stimulus and that's where you're using that RPE. I think therapists are really worried to do that. I don't know if it's like this misconception of what the graft can handle or even by the way, where the graft is tensioned. One thing this course provides the therapist is confidence in that which we know, which is you gotta ramp that stimulus to create growth. It's exhausting to watch patients come in 
having tried to, you know, been educated elsewhere to do these bilateral squats, and they're invariably going to live on their unaffected limb. And so one of the things I love about this course is it's easy to say, oh, well, go unilateral. That, what is that? What, first of all, what <laughs> is that? Second, second of all, how do we do that without killing their knee? Because you got right. the, the pain, right? And, and we don't want to incur any other types of damage. And so there's so many pearls and ways to work around that to get them to use that limb and to get them to do it at a high enough RPE or stimulus to force growth. You mentioned that one of them is BFR, one of them is uh, E-STEM. But how do you isolate that limb? That's the gold in this course. And, and that I feel like that's what made this section of the rehab process the most enjoyable to me because it used to be the most daunting. That's really tough to get the athlete to work that freaking muscle hard enough for it to grow when you're working around pain or whatever other maybe misconceptions you might have. I really... Um... Let me take a little more of a dive onto that, yeah. that single leg use or that, you know, unilateral use piece, because, you know, we talked about like these concepts and these broad categories and we're sort of describing, you know, you need to do hypertrophy. Same thing. Like we're taking, we're talking about these things that were taken from a, from a book now doing a nine out of 10 RPE on a rear foot elevated split squat where all the rate of perceived exertion is on the back, back leg yep. Yep. is a one out of 10 on the front leg, right? Yep. Or the exercise is just not designed well enough to really produce what you want to get out of the front limb. So um, are you meeting the goal that you set out with every single rep that, that you do with a patient and is, is a huge piece of what we'll be talking about is the exercise that you're doing truly unilateral. I think broadly pts are not great at classifying what buckets exercises fit into and so we classify them into you know your your bilateral your split stance and then your truly unilateral based exercises so i think those split stance or like um b stance positions people people will refer to them as a lot get get bucketed into this unilateral yep. well that's you know for someone with two healthy knees, I think you could maybe push it towards that um, that side of things because they're just using that um, the leg that's not working as like a stability piece. Yep. When you're dealing with someone who has an injury to the knee or they have an ACL reconstruction, their body is trying to protect them from stressing that knee at all costs. And so now the unil uh, the the B stance or that split stance limb use really becomes an overload of the healthy limb right. and not the, the limb that that we're trying to work. So whilst we do some split stance based activities, I think predominantly we really need to spend most of our time in that unilateral position. So if we need to add upper extremity supports to take a little bit of load off that limb, I think that's a really important piece of this. But how do we remove the other limb from the equation? One is can't pick bilateral and you can't pick B stance movements for people that are just going to cheat no matter what. And then, you know, two is, are we getting out of the exercise? What we think yeah. we're getting out of it? Because if we're, if we're not seeing that, or if there's a disconnect there, that hypertrophy is, you're going to be scratching your head six months down the road saying, man, like they're reporting eights and nines for this whole entire time. But like, the limb hasn't grown like circumference from a circumference perspective yep. at all, or it's one or two centimeters bigger. Yep. Well, 
you have to hold yourself accountable and look back at what you're doing. Well, were they really sitting on that leg when they're doing the exercise? And, um, well, let's check the circumference of the other limb. Yep. Did that grow exponentially? Because if that happened, now we really got to look at our program and, and say to ourselves, crap, I think I we're training the other leg yeah. and not yeah. the leg we're supposed to be training. So I'll ask you a simple question, which is how do you know you're getting what you want at a given exercise? Yeah. So one is develop the parameters around the exercise that minimize the variables that can, 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 um, that can kind of come about in the exercise. So, so selection, selection first, okay. right? So if you can, um, if you can get someone to shift their knee anteriorly enough, or we know that's going to increase squat. So how can we set up the environment to ensure somebody does that? So one way that we'll, we'll, um, we'll teach this is we'll, for any of our single leg or split stance exercises, we'll ensure that there's a target for them to go forward to. Okay. To, to push their knee to, to hit to, towards. Yep. yep. And so that knee sort of travels over the toe. We know there's better quad recruitment there. Um, the other piece that will go with this is what's happening at, at the trunk. And actually one of our colleagues posted this, this recently um, arguing that the, tr the trunk position um, is probably more important than the, knee position. Now I think both those things, um, I think both those things come into the equation. So in terms of trunk position, we'd, we're trying to look for a more vertically, um, placed trunk. So how can you set up parameters surrounding that to ensure that, um, that happens? So yep. that might be a wall right, yep. right behind their back. You know, it might just be, uh, tactile cueing to ensure they kind of made those cements. So setting up the demands of the exercise that, you know, that, that really decreases the ability to move outside of what you're trying to get. Yeah. So that, that would be like the biggest bucket. If they're not showing you what you want them to do in an exercise, because there's too many variables involved, adding 50 cues never results no, in what you want to see. It, it just makes it harder yeah. and worse. And then you spend so much time and then you get out of the exercise and you're like, man, I just wasted that like yep. inter integral, like opportunity. I could have been working the thing I wanted to do. So just shift, change the exercise, dump it and go to something else. We find that's a much better way to sort of like hit what you want to hit. Yeah. And then all the way back to what you started with is try the exercise yourself. How do you cheat? How do you run away from your knee or quad? Um, I think it's totally worthwhile. When they're done with the exercise and they come in the next session, how do you know that the last session was worthwhile? Typically, I'll try to watch them come down the stairs. And if they look like they're buckling down the stairs, it's we're in a pretty good place. Um, and then, yeah, then we're just asking the patient, you know, like, um, even in the same session, yep. how did that go? Where do you Where feel, do you feel the work? You know, um, was it hot enough? Was it challenging enough? You know, is your leg shaking while you're doing it? Or is it the back leg right. shaking while you're doing it? But yeah, definitely the next day, I think it's one, just watching them walk in as we always do. I think the stairs is a really good way to say, like, as I go down stairs to see like, if they're kind of like, um, having issues, you know, you hit quad pretty good, but then I, then you're just following up and, and, and talking to the patient. So I think putting your hands on a patient here comes in, you know, in handy. So if you really, really tried to work on, um, quad hypertrophy or just stress, um, that like anterior chain in general, just like putting your hands on their legs and feeling their muscles and asking them to squeeze and saying like, is there a different level of soreness yeah. here in the one that we're trying to hit versus the one that we're not? I mean, those are very, very simple. Yeah. Ways but to do but it. often overlooked for sure. For um, sure. 
is your quad sore? What can I do to make your freaking quad sore? It's not going to grow unless it's sore. So the other thing you mentioned there was when you were talking about cues and, and, uh, ways to constrain an exercise to get out of it, that what you want, you use the example of tactile cues using a wall in my head. I was like thinking we put a foam roller in front of their knee so that their knees, these are nearly no cost options. And I, I think too often we get so fancy with, with lights and bells and whistles for cues. Whereas, um, we've been able to rehab before we got force plates, before we got BFR, before we had stim units in, in office, we were able to use very simple things to achieve the desired goal. Fancy isn't always better. John Wooden said, don't be fancy, just be good. And the way you're good is using that, what you have, because you know, your goal, that's what you get out of the course. Now, you know, your goal, uh, we make that really clear. You make that really clear in the course. Um, you don't have to get too fancy to achieve those goals. Um, the next phase that I really see therapists um, needing some tutelage around is the plyometric phase. So break down the course of how it addresses the plyo phase. Um, so we start in this sort of like pre-running, pre-plyo type um, section. And so basically what we're trying to do there is to achieve some of the same joint angles that you might get when you're doing plyometrics or change of direction exercises for, for that matter too. Um, but, but not incur the same amount of forces that go through the, the, the limb. And so one way that we, we do that, we show that in the course is just by adding a lot of speed to your drills. Yeah. So you might unload them, but add more speed to that triple flexion, triple extension piece that the limbs always going to go through when they're doing plyometrics or running. Um, another way is, um, doing them on two legs versus one leg. So we talked about trying to get away from the bilateral stuff, like when we're talking about the hypertrophy and strengthening phase, but here we sort of like bring it back in, right? Because we can decrease the load by 50% to that limb. So that's a really important piece in in sort of seeing if the patient's like comfortable getting their knee into that position at those speeds. So that's the pre portion, all your typical sagittal plane based movements, your lateral and transverse based movements applied with those thoughts. So we're still following that like planar um, movement pace. And then we move into the, you know, the truly plyometric portion of the course. So we have a specific phase or a specific section um, that fits into our advanced loading phase where we really break down um, plyometric drills from a planar perspective, a limb use perspective, bilateral single leg, and then we really dive into this major concept of extensive versus intensive um, plyometrics as well. Yeah. Um, and those are all nuances that I feel like y- there's no way in hell you're getting those in grad school. So this is clearly kind of that next, that next stage. Too often we see athletes just progressing to a run, just like we were talking about with change of direction based on a, a time perspective. And it's, they haven't done anything fast, right? And so they go from a heavy load, your hypertrophy phase, to this running or force production phase, and they haven't done anything fast. So maybe it's starting with some, an exercise you know they can do. You know they feel it in the desired muscle, let's say quadriceps with a squat, let's say. And can you speed them up, right? right? Can they do it quickly? And, and playing with the rate um, can be equally as effective as playing with the load at times more more effective. So, um, that's definitely something that, 
I learned kind of watching you move through this course and the gold that's inside this. I think one thing here too to to understand is is that um, we've taken such a, a better approach at the testing piece of this to ensure that patients have the physiological qualities to be able to produce those movements when we ask them and have set up parameters that you can see within within the course as well to know that someone's ready to run or to know that someone's ready to do like heavier plows or to know that they're ready to return to the field but i'll say this because i used to be quite a hater on the um testing side of things i just didn't feel the practical like field test that we had unless you had a biodex in your clinic yep. you were able to really produce results that gave you any better insight yep. into where the patient is and where they're going forward now i think we we have been able to kind of like ditch some of the the older testing and really look at the ones that we really truly value and that we really think represent um good quad function for the most part but in throwing all of that out if you didn't have the ability to test someone you should be able to subjectively you know or quasi objectively be able to see if someone's ready to do these different drills by just progressing the drill right so you know if you want to understand someone can do a single leg hop well you can start them on a tap down. If they're successful on a tap down, load the tap down. If you're successful at loading the tap down, strip the weight, do the tap down really fast. Mm -hmm. Okay. Add some load to the, a really fast tap down and then break down the different portions of jumping. Can they desell the limb effectively by just landing on it eccentrically? Mm -hmm. Can they get off the limb by just accelerating off of it, but not having to deal with the landing component of it? Now you've just been through this whole process where you can say, okay, like they've had no problems with all those things. And that might be two reps at each thing. It could happen all in one session or it could happen over a month or, or even longer, but you're now able to say like with really high confidence, if I move the needle 1% beyond breaking down those two portions of jumping and landing to just jumping and landing, yep. like it's supposed to be like, I'm really confident that person's going to be able to do that without having a 85% QI or whatever yep. it is that that you're looking for. So I think while that when you're new at this, you might not be as good at sort of like making those jumps, the testing is really, really important. And I think it does really help us with the blind spots that we have as PTs when you think you're there yep. and you're not there. But also I think what this course does a really good job of is helps arm you with the ability to assess the patient's progress from a subjective or quasi like objective perspective yeah, to yeah. see if they're ready for the next level yeah I, I love that because it gives the therapist the ability to progress a patient post-op acl really smoothly without needing force plates but if you have force plates use we, them use them right. and we have an expert that teaches how to use them inside of this course if you have a tin deck Use a tin deck. It's 150 bucks. It's a step down from all that information you can get from force plates. But we're going to teach you how to use a tin deck. If you don't have any of those, Tim, in the last two minutes, you just taught us how to assess the athlete, progress the athlete without any of it. And we want to give as many levers to pull as we can to therapists in this course. And that's exactly what's in this course. So, the, dude, there's a lot there. There's a lot there to dive into. And we'll definitely cover a lot more. So, as we we look to wrap this up, just give me what did you learn 
while you produce this course? Uh, the first thing that I will learn was nothing to do with PT. And that's just, you know, how difficult, difficult it is to be on camera. I have the utmost respect for people who do that on a, on a daily basis. So I think it's really, really difficult. Um, you did great. Thanks. Um, you did too. <laughs> so my issue with, with that was like, as soon as the light turns on, I could just completely, yeah, no idea what I'm going to say. So we, uh, we did a little, a little dive into using a white ball with some bullet points and things like that. And then we finally made the executive decision for me. I needed to have a teleprompter. Yeah. So embarrassingly enough, like I had to um, write my thoughts and feelings down on the page and then read them. What were your band. feelings? What feelings did you include um, in that? Um, nervousness. nervousness. Yeah. <laughs> for the most part. So I, I put those on it much. It went much, much smoother beyond that. I don't have the, the ability as as you do to to ab lib and you know and and kind of swerve and come back to the right point yeah it's called at BS. the right time, yeah, yeah. at the right time and so so that really kind of helped me um do that so i think that was probably like the most challenging piece to me i think the clinical stuff right it's regurgitating like what we already know yeah um i actually did find it much easier when when i'm when i'm queuing or talking about an exercise that i do I didn't need any of that stuff then. That just what felt you do. so natural yeah. like to, to do that and to kind of show those things. But the intros, you know, the meat and potatoes on these this terminology and that yeah. terminology and things like that, I really needed a lot of help with that. So, so. so to the millions of people that are going to download this course, just cut us some slack on those intros. They're yeah. going to get better. Yeah. They're going to get better. Okay. Yeah. What else? Um, I think it challenged us. You know, we produced this course one time yep. and then we kind of sat down to, to evaluate it and it had all these tidbits that we felt like we offer that that other places don't but we didn't feel like it had this comprehensive approach from day one all the way mm -hmm. to the end of the field and like what do i do if i'm with a patient that's six months in and like i'm scratching my head over how to get them to the next level so we sat down after filming for three months and putting it together over six months and said look like I don't think this, this isn't is good enough. It's not good enough. And so we took a dive back in. We restructured the whole thing. Um, and so just communicating and figuring out what is it that we do? What is it that we do without thinking about that other people have to think about, yeah. you know, uh, to, to begin with? And how do we articulate, you know, the importance of these different concepts? I think that's what's so tough about producing you know, of course, it has a really good 360 degree view on on the rehab of, of anything. Yeah. It's like a lot of these things like brushing your teeth after a while, you kind of go through them, but they weren't like that, you know, six years ago mm -hmm. for me. And I did have to like write those things down. So coming up with the ability to show um, the basic steps on how to do this, but, but also giving people the tidbits that really have been able to separate us in and true sports in general like in this field of, of treating acl um reconstructions that's tough to kind of put on paper so i learned a lot about actually doing the rehab whilst and and now apply that to my patients i'm, I'm applying this course to my patients every day um because it gave me a lot of structure a lot more structure to my programming, a lot more structure to um, looking at when to get feedback from a patient or, or when to jump to the next level. So I think that that was a really, really big piece that that I learned um, from doing this course. Yeah. And 
and it comes across just in terms of the way this finished product, the way you took that look <clears throat> and tried to figure out how do we program it appropriately. Um, I think it's really nicely organized and it will be evolving. We're going to get even better at it. I'm sure we'll do an ACL rehab part two. Can I uh, flip those questions back around on you? All what of you them? Think? You want to do another yeah, hour? Let's do another hour. Yeah. Uh, I'll do this all day. Um, what, what do you feel like you felt was the most difficult portion of of, of completing this course or, or, or putting a good product on, on paper? Not settling. I think getting feedback, being open to feedback from clinicians, from Dr. Dries, who you hear from in the course, from you as a, as a co-presenter, um, and being able to go back to the drawing board when necessary, um, I think is was a massive uh, learning experience for me to go back, assess what you've done. Is it good enough? Does it meet our true sports standard? Is it going to help every clinician? Is it going to help the beginner? Is it going to help the vet? Um, and is it clearly articulated? That was that was really tough for me. Um, and I, I hope I learned from that. Yeah, I hope I got better with that process. Any other questions? Um, <laughs> it's not a podcast till the guests ask questions. <laughs> What's your favorite part of the course, Yoni? Uh, my favorite part of the course, I would say, um, was bringing in an orthopedic surgeon. It's so unique. We don't know what the F happens in that OR, and he distills it beautifully and gives us insight as to why he's doing what he's doing. He's a guy who operates from a standpoint of trying to do what's very best for the patient. He has changed the way he does ACL reconstruction. I think that was eye-opening for me to hear. It's what I look for in a surgeon. So when patients come to me and say, who should do my ACL rehab? It's those tidbits. I want a guy who's doing it a little bit differently than five years ago because we have new interventions. And it makes me really nervous when a guy is doing exactly what he did when he came out of graduate school. That's across every profession, specifically with orthopedic surgery. So I think that was one of my absolute um, favorite pieces of this course is hearing from a renowned orthopedic surgeon. Um, okay, let's go to the Eric Cressy lightning round. Ready? Make nice. it quick, Tim okay. Stone. Here we go. What's the most important thing you needed to learn when you came to True Sports about rehabbing athletes post-ACL reconstruction? Um, I think I would say that zero degrees of extension is not full extension or almost there on range of motion is not there on range of motion. So. By that, what I mean is if there's a 5% deficit in in hyperextension comparatively between sides or 5% on flexion, that really is going to dictate the outcome of the entire rehab. Your plyos won't look good. Like your change of direction stuff won't look good. They won't be able to generate enough hypertrophy on the limb because they can't lock the knee out. They won't be able to generate um enough turnover in their stride because their flexion's not similar or it just feels freaking weird for them to do it because it's not the same mm -hmm. and when you're constantly driving that this is not the same as my other leg this is not the, other, the same as my other leg feedback loop it doesn't produce a good result so i think this is that's my favorite part of the course is that early phase um we stress that so well here to, to our PTs and all of our PTs can run it back, run back that first week, you know, to us exactly the same. It looks the same 
here in Glen Burnie where we're filming as it does over in Timonium where um, where our PTs do this early on. So that that's a huge piece of this is just getting that early extension. So I think um, that's probably the most important thing that I need to learn when I got here. And, you know, thankfully, I, I really got that from you. I think my first my first patient, I remember sitting in the back room of of uh, Fells Point doing one of these and and you coming in and sort of like, you know, throw me, you know, to the, to the wall, so to speak, but looking at it and, and saying, you saying, how's the extension? I was like, good, because her leg was sitting flat on the table. You walked over immediately, grabbed the heel, popped it up and couldn't get anything beyond that, like one degree of hyperextension and then test out the side. You know, they have like six or seven degrees of hyperextension. You know, I was, I didn't understand that. And I think that's still an issue that we're, we're yep. seeing. So um, that was a huge learning curve for me, but I think once I figured that out, things got a lot better really, yeah. really quickly. Yeah. Uh, credit to you. Um, okay. ACL wise, what have you changed your mind about in the last three to five years? Yeah, I think I, I touched on this earlier with, with the testing piece. I, I was just really frustrated, I think, at um, what the research had shown in the practical like field jump testing and, and things like that. And so I basically threw them out because I didn't think that the triple hop from a subjective portion really yeah, like didn't matter. It, it doesn't show didn't you show the anything. quality that you're looking at, which is do they have proficient like quad function in, you know, change directional plyometric drills. And I just felt like that wasn't being shown well. And so instead of like pushing needle, try to find more stuff, I kind of threw them out and took that approach we talked about earlier too, where it was just like sequential little bits sequential. And so I've changed my mind on that um, immensely um mostly to to people i would say one of our former colleagues chelsea kuman she was huge in sort of like pushing me challenging me to sort of like look into that stuff more and then actually one of our um pts in this office rachel noble she came out of the delaware program and just has a really really innate ability to be able to um make the tests flow within a session that was another piece i hated yeah. was like when you do a test you're like and you're only able to see the patient twice a week sometimes it's like i just waste half my training on this and then they come back and their knees all blown up from that and you got to take two weeks off from doing it so um we've spoken a lot about how to integrate the tests into a session so that one you get pt buy-in so the pt is comfortable at doing the test quickly and proficiently it doesn't take up the whole test and then secondarily how do you do it in a manner that doesn't blow the front of their knee up, right. you know, like we're used to seeing if they have a BTB graph, for, for example. So um, that's what I've changed my mind on. I think, think mostly is like, how can I integrate those testing measures into the rehab? Yeah, uh, that's great. Okay, last but not least, what's the most important piece of advice to a rookie PT rehabbing their post-op ACL? Their patients or their own? Their patients. Say that question again. What's the most important piece of advice you would give to a rookie PT rehabbing their very first patient coming out of an ACL reconstruction? One, definitely buy this course. Buy this course, okay. <laughs> Shameful, shameless plug right there. I think, you know, this is a really, really quick way to get better at this. So if you've got your first one walking in the door, you know, jump on, on this course and you can take this course as you're treating the patient from day one all the way through the end. So you can just use it as like a confidence boost to kind of help you go along. But outside of that, 
I think mostly we talked about this a lot too. It, it's it's really learn the strength and conditioning principles surrounding you know how to get like tissue to perform the way that that you want it to, yeah. to, to perform. So um, being able to apply the tempos, being able to t- apply different sets and rep schemes, um, different loading strategies, um, and how to progress and regress within those. I think that's a huge piece of this. That's not just ACL rehab, right? That's just being a good sports PT or being a good PT in yeah. general. So I mean, I think everybody needs to work on that. Uh, I need work on it now, six years out. Like I'm learning a lot of things from out, you know, from different colleagues who are newer in the field that have a really good background in the new, the latest and greatest. Um, but also when you, know, when you first start, it's just like a huge bucket you need to fill and the quicker you can fill that, the better your patients will be because of that. Yeah. You, you've proven even in your delivery of that answer that you're a lifelong learner. So one of the things that make that makes true sports unique is that we're always trying to get better. Um, tell us how you want to get that feedback so you can get better. How do we find you on Instagram? Oh, oh, cool. Yeah, sure. <laughs> um, okay. So my, uh, I really only, you know, post stuff or, or communicate through, through my Instagram channel. So um, doctor.stone.dpt. Um, that's my handle. Um, if you want to look at some Squatoba content right now, that's going it's on. Yeah. Oh, it's terrible. I'm dying, but we're hanging in there. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I post a good amount of stuff on, on there about just the nuances of, of ACL rehab, different um, patients highlighting different people, not always success stories, um, post some of the challenges that that come with, with ACL. Um, I am always open on that. DM me. I definitely I look at it too much too much (laughs) yeah yeah but but it's real and i appreciate you you know yes we're experts in the field but nobody's perfect we're always learning um so give us give us some feedback hit dr stone on instagram hit us at true sports pt on instagram we're always trying to get better tell you tell us what you loved about the course tell us what could get better um we can't wait for for all you guys to sign up for this course and to teach it both virtually and then we're going to start in person too eventually and um, just share your feedback. We love doing it. We love building it. Just help us make it better. Find us at True Sports PT. Thanks so much for listening, guys. There's way more to come. Bye bye.